Hi, y'all. Howdy. Yeah. Hey, I always say good morning, everybody, so I thought I'd change it a little bit. Uh, junior church, four years old through fourth grade, you are dismissed to walk. Um, so far, I really appreciate what Dustin has said this morning. Jen, we do expect you next year to be the plunger. We're, we're still live, so she can do it. And um, anybody else wearing a blue shirt who didn't plunge? <laughs> Your shoe? Okay, that's good. So, um, as I've told you, I've been really excited about this sermon series and, and how we're going through the foundation, the, the life of Christ and what that's doing for here. I read an article, this was a month or so back, it's called, Is Your Church a Cruise Ship or an Aircraft Carrier? A cruise ship or an aircraft carrier. Most people would quick to say that, well, our church would be an aircraft carrier. But listen to the differences. People who attend cruise ship churches, uh, much like the cruise ship passengers, often come to be entertained, to be catered to by the staff. Very little is expected of these church attendees. In fact, they tend to rate the quality of the experience the music, the sermon, and everything else on how it made them feel. Much like cruise ship passengers rate the satisfaction with the, the various aspects of the trip. So a, a cruise ship church tends to be eternally focused on the needs of the regularly attending people. The main goal of a cruise ship church is to keep the customer happy. To complaints to a minimum. Leaders in cruise ship churches focus on existing members rather than pursuing those who are far from the kingdom of God or encouraging others to do so because we want to keep the status quo and keep it going. Cruise ships don't like when the water is turbulent and they're shaking. Neither do cruise ship churches. Very little of a cruise ship church's calendar, training, or communication is spent on activities to reach the lost or help those outside of the church. However, churches that are more like aircraft carriers, aircraft carrier churches are empowering all their members to go fulfill a mission. Cruise ship is about comfort. Aircraft carrier is mission. To send them off into the missions of the world, whether it's local or far off. To reach and to serve those who don't know Jesus. Like the crew of an aircraft carrier, it's all about launching a military plane and equipping them to become successful. And an aircraft carrier church wants to take people, equip them, lead them, teach them, and then send them off to go do the mission. And then, what is the purpose of an aircraft carrier? For those people to come back, refuel, rest, and then get back going again on the mission. Did you know that aircraft carriers are about the same size as a cruise ship? Um... Same size as many cruise ships, they're housing thousands of people. But what distinguishes it, you can see there, is not the size, it is purpose. An aircraft carrier um, crew can launch a plane every 25 seconds. I had to look that up. That is amazing. On an on a airstrip that is too small for an airplane. Every 25 seconds they can do this. Uh, the mission pervades every aspect of that ship. From the pilot to the person who restocks the ship's vending machines, everyone on the carrier knows they have a particular role, role how to fulfill that so that the mission of the entire boat can be accomplished. 
An aircraft carrier church has a clear mission that stems from the Great Commission. Everyone in the church knows why their church exists and plays a role in the mission. Today we're going to move, last week we looked at the book um, overview of Matthew, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Today we're going to look at the book of Mark. Does anyone remember the word I taught you last week? Who said that? John, what would you say? Yuangaleon. Oh my goodness, I'm giving you a candy bar. I, I, I ate all the Snickers. No, I'll get you a, a Snickers. So Yuangaleon, it means good news. Last week we looked at the Yuangaleon of Matthew, the good news according to Matthew. And Matthew showcased Jesus as what? The king. Thank you. Whew. Somebody heard me. Good. The gospel of Mark has a different focus. Now, Mark is the, gospel, uh, the gospel of Mark is the earliest written of the four gospels, um, written in the early 60s, made just a little before that. He is probably written for Christians in Rome, where he wrote the gospel for. Mark wants them to know that in an environment where people are worshiping many other gods, Jesus is the one true Son of God who can truly help them. Mark is also the most chronological order of all the Gospels. He, he puts them in order. Um, they're positioned in the timeline they happened. There are two highlights, or maybe lowlights, from Mark's life that I think are worth mentioning. First, in Mark 14, this is the first time we really get to know Mark. A young man, that's Mark. Wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, meaning Jesus, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Mark, what a stand-up guy. When Jesus was seized or arrested, he fled naked. He was quick to run away. Peter ended up denying Jesus that night, but Mark denied him first by fleeing. Years later, Paul and Barnabas took this same guy... Mark, on a short-term mission trip in Acts 13, he's referred to as the assistant or helper. And when things got messy, what do you think Mark did? He fled. Once again. Now Barnabas gave Mark a second chance, but Paul was not willing to do so. Um, later on, however, Paul grew in his faith and his compassion. And he offered Mark the same grace and mercy that God had given him. Look how... Paul finally talks about Mark in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Mark fled. Yet because of God's faithfulness, Mark repented and came back to ministry for Christ. I find it very interesting that Mark bailed, Peter failed, and yet both go back to admission. They go back to fulfilling the mission that God has called them to. And right now, real quick, aren't you glad that failures don't mark you for life to not be equipped or qualified to be in the ministry and mission of Jesus? Right there, right there, do you just see that first snapshot? Mark failed, and yet he wrote one of the Gospels. Last week I showed you the temple where the tribes are located. It's going to be up there again. Matthew showed um, Jesus as the king where Judah, the first of those, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, Mark focuses on Jesus as the servant 
or the ox. The servant or the ox. Vicki, can you actually back up? Yeah, thank you. So you can see on the far left side, Ephraim. The west side there, Ephraim, the ox. So we saw yesterday, or last week, Jesus as the king in front of the temple, the entrance. Now on the back side, the support side, the servant side, behind the scenes, we see the ox or the servant. Thank you. What does an ox do? What is an ox? Because I don't raise ox. Anybody here raise an ox? Good. Then I can tell you what it is. If you are called an ox, it is one who is willing to bear the burden to do the work and even sacrifice himself or herself. That's what it means when you are called an ox. It doesn't mean that you're bullheaded. That's a different word. Okay? That's bullheaded. But when Scripture is talking about the ox, it's a servant, one who is willing to carry the load. In biblical times, the oxes were very important, valuable animal, used for the work. They were carrying the plow. They carried the carts. They did all the work. And they were the ones who would go up onto the offering, the altars. The ox is trained to faithfully carry the master's workloads. He does it without fanfare or pretense. You don't see them heralding and parading all these oxes around. No, they just feed them, get them to do their work, and then eat them. It was a simple thing. Um, Philippians 2.7 Instead, he, meaning Jesus, gave up his divine privileges, his great glory. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when when he appeared in a human form. Mark's gospel, in this, Jesus is portrayed as the patient, suffering servant, the burden bearer. He comes into contact with a lot of dirt and dung in his ministry. He is right in the midst of it. He works in the master's field, breaks up the ground so that the seed of faith and the gospel can actually be planted. He does the workload. The ox is strong, but lowly. He spends most of his time with his his head bowed, focused on where he's supposed to go. In meekness and humility. He eats while he works. He just keeps going. The ox is faithful in seed time and harvest time. He labors in weariness, even while enduring the pain or persecution. And Mark shows us that Jesus came to serve. Matthew shows he came to lead, to claim the royalty that he deserves so that we could be a part of the kingdom. Mark is showing us he came to serve. If you look in the first part of Mark, you're going to see that Mark jumps right into the ministry of Jesus. There isn't a birth narrative. We don't start with little baby Jesus. Mark brings us straight away to the big event. Here it is, the focus, the pinnacle, Jesus serving. He doesn't go into all the details of the genealogy of Jesus like you would see in Matthew. He gets right to the point. He goes into his earthly ministry where the gospel unfolds in a fast pace until chapter 11, which takes up nearly half of the book. So the first 11 chapters are about Jesus preparing and getting things ready. The rest is all about the death, the pinnacle of it. Mark here focuses more on the works of Jesus than the words. And that is really important for us to understand. It's not that Jesus' words don't matter. Mark is trying to focus that 
what he does actually lines up with what he says in the other Gospels. Mark records 19 miracles and 4 parables. 19 miracles. Interesting, each of these parables has serving as its key. If you look at them, it's because they were talking about serving God or serving other people. And because of this, we can see the character of Jesus according to uh, Mark as someone we can trust, depend on, a Savior who will go the distance, who will serve and do what's needed for our benefit. One of the things about Mark's um, gospel is it is very emotive and abrupt. He's talking very quickly. Uh, Jesus acts quickly to meet the needs. We see this in the word that's translated to immediately. In just chapter 1, well, first, the word immediately is used over 40 times throughout the, the Gospel of Mark. It's repeated that many times. But look at just a few examples in just chapter 1. And it depends on your translation if it's immediately or right then um, or straight away. But look at these. Mark 1.10. And immediately coming up out of the water. That's when he was baptized. 1.12. Immediately the Spirit brought out, the Spirit brought him. 18. Immediately they left their nets. 20. Immediately he called them. And they went to Compertium immediately in 21. Um, 28 and 29. Immediately the news, new, uh, the news about him spread everywhere. And immediately after they left the synagogue. 42 and 43, immediately the leprosy left him, and he sternly warned him, and immediately, do you see this? Mark is trying to show that it is moving, it's constant, it's doing stuff, it's not one of those, why don't you just sit back and think? Jesus isn't, according to this, just one who's like, hey, I just want you to be nice. We're going to take this slow. Jesus is immediately serving Jesus is immediately responding to the people because He is the servant who immediately knows the needs. Mark shows us that Jesus was quick to serve, quick to obey, and quick to respond. The Gospel of Luke, which is a much longer, only uses the word immediately seven times. The shortest Gospel shows it over 40, and the longest Gospel shows it seven We also see that two-thirds of the verses begin with and. Now, grammatically, you don't start sentences with and. That's a run-on sentence if you keep doing that. Grammatically, that's wrong. But here we're trying to, or Mark's trying to show that it's continually moving. And then this happened, and this happened, and this happened. You ever heard like a five or six-year-old boy who's just telling you a story? And then we did this, and then we did this, and we did this, and you're like, breathe. That's what Mark's doing here. He is constant. And then Jesus went here, and then he did this, and then he healed this person, and then he said this so that he could do this. And then you wouldn't believe, but we went over here, and then he went over here, and then God did this. And he is constantly on the move. That little boy who does that is excited, right? What do you think Mark is doing here? You can't just read this. And immediately Jesus went off. Well, you've got to see the excitement because he sees that Jesus came to serve him, to save him as that suffering servant. Mark has been called, I read this in in one of the commentaries, a moving picture of the ministry of Jesus. Because he's constantly moving and you have to follow him. That it draws you in. Mark 10.45, look what it says. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does Jesus say right there? Why did he come? To serve. To be served and to sacrifice. Both of those. Mark uses the historical pretense over 150 times. Instead of writing in what that means, he doesn't say Jesus came. He writes Jesus comes. It's in this past present tense in a sense. So it's talking about him doing it now. Mark's about Jesus says this, not Jesus said this. He's making it active and pertinent and relevant now. This isn't something you think about Jesus back then. It's about Jesus right now doing and working in you. It's not that Jesus healed. Jesus heals. Jesus did all those things in the past, but the way Mark says it is, its repercussions, its consequences of what Jesus did is still going. You know what that tells me? Jesus, the suffering servant back then, is still serving. It didn't end. The Gospel of Mark ends. The chapters finally end and we go to the new book. But Jesus' ministry doesn't end. Not only do we have our past mistakes that don't disqualify us for ministry, but we also have our constant hurts, our failures, that don't get ended in how He serves and sanctifies and sacrifices for us. I'm so glad we have the Gospel of Mark to show us that of Jesus. Tim Keller writes this, Jesus is not merely a historical figure, but a living reality who addresses us today. That's how Mark talks about Jesus, that he is relevant and living right now. Mark also holds up the cost of discipleship. A few years ago, we talked about discipleship for the whole year. It was our theme. And a real disciple of Christ is one who not only follows, but also helps other people to become disciples, to come and follow Jesus. Mark talks about that. In Mark eight thirty four, And calling to the crowd to him, to Jesus, with his disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What is he saying? What is Jesus saying? Immediately he's saying this, okay? He says, if you want to be my follower, you must pick up your death sentence. But it's written in a way that says you must continually, daily pick this up and continually, daily follow me. Now at first when I read this, I think, well, the focus is on what we got to do. I've got to deny myself. I've got to pick up the cross and I have to follow him. That's really not what this verse is saying. Jesus is really saying, if you want to come after me, I'm already ahead of you. I'm already leading the way. I've already done the work. I've done it. And am doing it. Just follow. That's a big difference from what I have to do. It's focused on Jesus is serving. He's leading. He's preparing the way. He is still doing it. And all I have to do is just step in those footsteps. When our our kids were little and we'd go out and make snowmen and, and different things like that. And I'd go out there in the boots. You know what the kids always did? They'd step in my footprints. And and it was funny to see because, you know, they're going like this, trying to stay in my footsteps. And so you know what I'd do after a while at looking at that? 
I'd, stay, I'd start taking littler footsteps so that they could do it. And then, I'm not kidding, one of the boys, I don't remember which one, says, Look, Dad, I'm in your footprints. That's what Mark is showing Jesus doing. He's making these huge strides, but in his servant heart, he takes little steps and he says, Just follow these steps. Just follow me. And he's continually doing that. He continually calls his followers to complete commitment, discipleship. And when they cave, when they come and they fail, when they run away like Mark did, Jesus says this in Mark 4.38. The, the disciples say this, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Here they're in a boat. Jesus is sleeping. He's been serving. He's tired. And they're like, don't you care that we're going to drown? I love that. Jesus calms the storm. Shows them his footsteps again. He doesn't condemn them. He calls to them to follow. He is calling us to take up that cross, which means to go like a condemned criminal like he did. Uh, Randy Al, um, Alcorn wrote this, Following Christ means taking up your cross daily, which means little sacrifices that are made repeatedly. Because that's what Jesus did. I always grew up thinking, you know, well, he died once for all. He did. But how many times did he sacrifice things for me? It wasn't just on the cross. He sacrificed his divinity and his glory and his majesty by being born in a stable. He did that for me. He sacrificed teaching to people earlier on when he chose to obey Mary and Joseph by going with them instead of continually teaching in the temple at 12 years old. He continually sacrificed for the betterment of people. And then the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He was willing to sacrifice daily. I'll just tell you right now, if I was Jesus, and I had a bunch of hothead, arrogant church leaders come up and tell me I'm wrong, I wouldn't say, you brood of vipers. I would smite thee. There we go. And yet he sacrificed to bring real life. Aren't you glad Jesus gives us grace and mercy when we fail? He carries on like that serving ox. If God can use a denier like Peter and a deserter like Mark, he can use flawed disciples like you and I. And I am so glad we have the gospel of Mark for this. The Gospel of Mark is also a missionary book. Uh, Mark omits languages that someone living in Rome would not understand. He doesn't use big Jewish words. Like today, it wouldn't be using a lot of big churchy words. Propitiation. Okay, that, what's that? Look it up. You all have Google. Okay, so... Uh, Mark explains Aramaic words and Jewish customs. He explains it so that they can understand the point is God, Jesus, serving them. He's all about making the gospel message accessible and understandable to those outside the norm. We must do the same because it's so easy for us to focus on the cruise ship. It's so easy to get comfortable and focused here. And Mark saying, no, no, we're here to serve like Jesus did. Say it so they understand it. Remember that the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the benefit 
I didn't make this up. I read this. But we must remember that the church is the only organization in the world that exists for the benefit of non-members. The church is the only organization that is here to benefit non-members. And what that means is, you're a member of the church, the body of Christ. Your job is to go serve those outside. Give them the grace and the love that they do not deserve because that's what got to you and brought you into here. We are out here to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't come to seek and save those who are already saved. He came to seek and save those who were lost and bring them home. And that's what Mark's trying to tell us to do. Mark 1.1, here's what it says. He opens up with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's his opening. The beginning of the gospel, the good news, the euangelion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then he closes with Mark 16, 15. And Jesus said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The whole thing here, Mark emphasis, is on this last week of Jesus. The events surrounding the death, burial, and resurrection. Um, That makes up 40% of the entire gospel of Mark. Jesus was born, why? To serve and die. That's what Mark is trying to show us. His death was not a tragic accident, but was part of God's plan from the beginning, according to verse 1. This is the beginning of his ministry. And, And I want you to know something. The Greek there for beginning means it started and has not ended. This is the beginning and is going to keep on going. Jesus is our selfless servant. He is our suffering Savior. And he isn't done. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Mark, tells about a world-renowned scholar of classic literature, Dr. E.V. Rue. He is known for fantastic translations of Homer's Odyssey into modern English. Um, He was an agnostic his entire life, and publishers approached him at the end of his career and asked him to translate the Gospels. That raised a lot of eyebrows. How is this guy going to translate the Gospels? They wondered how he, this agnostic, classic scholar would do this. When Ruth's son heard that his father had done this, this is what he said about his dad. It will be interesting to see what father will make of the four Gospels. And then with a pause, he said, it will be even more interesting to see what the four Gospels make of father. He knew that the word of God was going to change my dad. He didn't have to wonder very long. While translating them, Rue came face to face with Christ and became a committed Christian. All in reading the Gospels. His story is a testimony of the transforming power of God's Word. He came face to face with a guy who was deity, who came to serve and to save. Anyone who serves in the navies will always mention the importance of teamwork. The aircraft carrier, right? That everyone must do their job. If you don't clean up the mess on the um, tarmac, on the sp- runway, thank you. I was like, you know, nah, I'm not dancing. I was trying to think. If you don't clean up that mess, then somebody's going to slip and fall, and then they're going to be hurt, and then that guy can't launch the ships or the ships. There's just all these things. They say it is a teamwork. If a shipmate doesn't open the right valve, someone could die. If orders aren't followed, planes could crash. Everyone has a job and they must do it faithfully if the mission is to be accomplished. 
No one is just along for for the ride. No what they don't sell tickets for you to go on a cruise ride on an aircraft carrier. Because that's not their mission. They don't have all you can eat buffets with lobster and steak. Because that's not their mission. They don't even have a pool. If you're swimming, it's because you fell off. The key is for every member of the crew to always be ready to faithfully serve, fulfill their role. Mark's gospel is telling us not only did Jesus do that, but is calling us to follow in those same footsteps. The night before Jesus died, he gathered his shipmates for a meal and for a final mission um, collaboration. He wanted to get them ready to send off. It's likely that the Last Supper could have been held the way it was worded. It could be held in Mark's mother's house. Jesus dined with his disciples before he deployed them. It's interesting that he chose community right before he died. He chose closeness. Once again, he demonstrates that he's a servant by serving this last meal to them. Then he died as a savior, urging them to live on mission and complete his mission. We talk about the word commission, the great commission, which is in Matthew. We looked at last week. The word commission actually is a shipbuilding word. I got to look it up. So a commission ship is one who is deemed worthy for service. It's commissioned. It's ready to go out. When a ship is ready to sail, it's placed into active service and then sent on its mission. And Jesus came to commission you and I. He did not call us to come sit on a cruise ship. One day I'd love to go on a cruise. I really, I want to. I'd love to go on a cruise to Alaska. There's, there's problems with that. There's sharks in the water. And my wife hates them. That, that, that's why we haven't ever done a cruise. She hates sharks. So we, we, I watch it on PBS. That's my cruise. But I am not going to go to a cruise. And anybody I've ever talked to didn't go up and, and go up to the janitor. Hey, how can I help you today? Can I come help do dishes? What can I do to clean up this mess over here? You know what cruise ship um, people do? There's a mess. Somebody better clean that up. They pass it off and tell somebody else to do it. But in the aircraft carrier, you say, well, there's a mess, and the person over you says, then clean it. Get it done. We need to work together. It's not about our comfort. And Jesus didn't come for our earthly comfort. He came to commission us so that when we retire from our commission, then we can have eternal comfort. It's not about temporary here. It's about eternal there. And He came to show us the way to walk in those footsteps. And then He said, you do exactly as I do. You keep serving. You keep being commissioned. It's not about here, it's about Him. And we need to jump ship from cruise ship mentality and jump aboard the carrier under the command of our Captain Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and serve like He does. To be a captain of a cruise ship, you have to have the right credentials, but you can bypass a lot of jobs. To be a true aircraft carrier captain, you have to know all the jobs. 
That's what this says. You have to know how to do all of them. Mark is revealing to us the Messiah who is the Son of God from the beginning to the end, but a Messiah who is a twist, is a servant to all, and expects us to serve with him. If Mark made sure to give us a strong focus on Jesus as a servant, if Jesus so adamantly tells us to follow after him, shouldn't we all seek to not just know Jesus, but follow in those same footsteps? The same footpath as Jesus. To serve Christ, we must serve. So I have a question for all of us. Where are you following the servant of heaven? Where are you following him? Where are you serving? I'm not talking about just signing up for nursery or greeters or Sunday school. I'm talking about real serving. Where are you sacrificing your time, your comfort, your treasures for the betterment of the gospel? Where are you pointing back and saying, look, I fled from him here. I ran away naked, but yet he redeemed, rescued me, and commissioned me, and here I am. And I'll, I'll do all of this. I'll share it all so that you don't have to follow in that same failure I did, but actually can step further in faith. That's what Mark's trying to do. Where are you following the footsteps of Jesus, living out the euangelion of Mark, the good news? Mark's a short book with one real message. Jesus is a suffering servant, the ox. And are you willing to do the same? That's the question. Are you willing to suffer and serve in his name? Or do you want to be a cruise ship Christian? Honestly, many times cruise ships sound so much better. From up here, so much nicer. Cruise ship Christians complain a lot more. Cruise ship Christians cause a bigger mess. And the captain doesn't care. Aircraft carrier Christians care for one another, support one another, encourage one another, and they get out of their comfort zone to serve those who are not yet on the boat. That's what I want to do. If you need to make that decision to first come and join the board, to come and be commissioned, we want to offer that time. But also for those, if you're ready to get off the cruise ship and to finally come into the real faith, the real life, of living in Jesus. Will you come and, and we'll talk and we'll pray with you. Let's stand and let's pray right now. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he didn't come and call us to be comfortable here on earth, but to live freely, truly, eternally with you. And help us, God, forgive us when we seek our comforts over our commission. And help us to take hold of your word to follow in those footsteps like Mark has shown us and to live as you would live even if that means to die as you died. Thank you. Thank you for doing that willingly for us when we didn't deserve it. And as we come back again as a church to worship and to honor you, God, let this be an, an anthem of our hearts, of our faith, of our minds 
of who you truly are to each one of us. And in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.